So we're here today to talk about inequality in the birthing world. And we're very interested in this, um, not only because we are allies of the LG, I can't even say, the LGBTQ plus community. Hey, you did it. Good job. <laughs> I know, it's right? too early. It's too early for this it's alphabet soup, right? Welcome to the True and Work podcast. We're your hosts, Nikki Kilburn and Chandra Riley. We hold conversations with people from marginalized communities that will inspire you to connect with their purpose. In this episode, we're talking about inequality in the birthing world with AJ Silver. AJ is the founder of the Queer Birth Club. They are a doula, breastfeeding counselor, baby wearing consultant, published author and educator. Their recently published book, Supporting Queer Birth, is available now on Amazon. So AJ, as allies and women of color, we understand there can be parallels and commonalities in how the LGBTQ plus community experience inequalities in the birthing world. Are there any overarching issues that you've identified? Uh, I think it's really hard to give a general oversight because as much as black and brown folks don't experience the same things as a monolith, the LGBT community don't experience that as a monolith as well. So I think it's really hard to give a general generalised overview. So the same struggles for same-sex families um, looking for IVF funding or um, surrogacy or adoption are not the same issues faced by trans or non-binary folks um, looking to carry their own children. It's not about trauma top trumps or saying who's the most afflicted. It's about saying that different sets of our overall community are going to experience this very differently. So I think it's hard to pinpoint a general consensus but the thing that binds us all together is that we are not expected to be there Hmm. yeah as a mom with a disability I can relate to that and I know the alienation that occurs all of our forms and pathways for funding referral procedures whatever they are Hmm. are not expecting an LGBT family whether that is a trans guy giving birth or a non-binary person or a same-sex couple we're we're unexpected because the systems and our training and the computer systems and the people within those systems aren't told to expect us. Yeah, Nikki, you and I were talking the other day about research and data that's gathered and how the language that is being used to be inclusive is actually turning out to be rather exclusive. Do you want to share what we were talking about? Yeah, AJ, from reading your article, Birth Beyond Binary, what struck me is the administrative process from a starting point when people are filling out a form, they're not included. So there's already this starting point of exclusion. Mm. I was listening to Jenny Gamble, professor of midwifery at Coventry University on Women's Hour with Enema Barnett, and they were talking about the unintended consequences of the shift in language of reproduction using non-inclusive language that's excluding women, using terms like cervix haver, a birth giver, 
and how the term pregnant people is being used in research as a way to include people. But actually what it's doing is it's excluding everybody by not being specific about their experience. Mm. I find this dehumanizing language worrying in the sense that it's not thinking about the specific experience of people and taking time to really understand what their background is and what is impacting on them in terms of what the study is actually researching. Also, it's creating these separatist narratives as well. Um, (laughs) I actually ended up on forums having a look at what people's responses were to this reductive language for women, and the LGBTQ plus community was coming under attack without understanding that these are terms that are being used in research without consultation with communities. It's difficult because obviously the main get up goal of any improvements to maternity or perinatal services or conception services should be to increase people's ability to access these services. It should be anybody who wants or needs access to this service or product should be able to see themselves reflected in the language or the imagery to know that they're safe there. But because we've got such a terrible a terrible, atrocious situation with particularly transphobia, but anti-LGBT rhetoric all the same as well in the UK. A lot of people, rightly or wrongly, because of their past experiences, will have to, for self-preservation reasons, make an assumption that unless they're told otherwise, this company, this um, whole procedure or system is going to be anti-them existing. Because if we go in thinking, oh, this is going to be great, everyone's going to love us and we're going to come up across no problems and no one's going to make a jibe and no one's going to say anything remotely questioning or transphobic or uh, biphobic or, you know, whatever, then a lot of the time we, we fall foul and we, and we are surprised yeah, totally. by where anti-LGBT rhetoric and dangerous anti-LGBT attitudes can sit. So I think a lot of people mm-hmm. take that proactive, pre-defensive notion of unless you've told me explicitly that you are here for the LGBT community or that you are here for trans guys or non-binary people, a lot of people, unfortunately, will have to make the assumption that you're not. Um, because yeah. if there's mm-hmm. no way that we can see ourselves in your language or your imagery or your forms or your procedures or your questioning or anything, then how do we know that you've considered that we even exist? Mm. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Institutions are coming up with these universal terms to use without consultation and not in consideration of the specifics of people's experiences. We're left with lots of questions. It's excluding us from understanding what different community experiences are. And then sadly, the research isn't as insightful as it could be, Mm. which highlights the point that it's also about what's being funded. Hi, it's Chandra here. If you're enjoying this podcast and you don't want to miss a conversation, please subscribe. Thanks for listening. 
there's a wider symptom of obviously um, a minoritized or marginalized people are so seldom offered opportunities to be able to even collect their data, let alone study it. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. a f- fantastic example, Dr. Mari Greenfield, um, who also wrote a, an AIMS article called "He's uh, She's Not the uh, He's Not the Mother," I think it's called. Mm-hmm. He's not the mother. Um, and what uh, what Dr. Greenfield accidentally became the author of the largest ever study of LGBT pregnant people because they ran a, um, a study during the pandemic about people's birth choices during the pandemic and how the pandemic affected the choice of where people give birth. Now, it was I say accidentally because they asked the question. They asked, are you LGBT? Are you you know, what is your gender identity? What is your sexuality? And these questions are not usually asked. We've only just had the census ask us for the first time in its 200 year history, whether we're LGBT. So accidentally becoming the the author of the largest ever study of LGBT pregnant people because you asked the question. Mm. So I think there's a lot of that is held over and left out because people assume that if you're asking, are you LGBT, that that is some way a negative view of you that if I ask you might be offended because being LGBT is still seen as less than um so I think it's it's very telling that we've only just had the largest ever study of LGBT people by accident um and it was off the back of of obviously studying birth choices in the pandemic so I think that you're right we're seldom not uh asked to join in in these discussions Mm. it kind of reminds me of the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter argument. Yeah. And there's a gap of inequality that needs to be addressed. And by doing that for the LGBTQ plus community, you're not taking anything away from parents who are not LGBTQ plus. Yeah, I think that's a really mm-hmm. fair summary. I mean, imagine imagine the guts to stand and say trans men, non-binary people or non-gestational mothers or adoptive fathers deserve to have their language reflected, but saying not cisgender heterosexual women. Of course, everybody. When I say everybody deserves to have language, to have forms, to have visibility, to have a safe assumption or knowledge that the person that you see who is taking care of you in what a lot of us in the birth world will agree is the most vulnerable time of anybody's life, that you deserve to be Mm -hmm. with somebody who accepts you as a human being on a very base level and will care for you regardless of your sexuality or gender identity in the same way. And I mean everybody. When I say everybody deserves that, everybody. Cisgender women, of course. Everybody. And so there's, it's not that we don't want to use the word woman or mother. It's that, that experience isn't just limited to those people. Yeah. We don't want to overtake and crash the table. We want to seat at it. Yeah. And we're not going to try to take over and to steer it in this direction. What we're simply saying is we exist and we are experiencing difficulties because of how we exist, because of who we love or who we are. And that's not right. So can we tell you a little bit more about that and tell you a little bit of what could help us? And people are saying you're trying to take over. And um, yeah. I don't know any any trans rights activists, as, we like, as they like to call us. I don't know anyone that is calling for the complete erasure of the word woman and mother. It's not what we're doing. It's not what we're about. We're simply asking to be seen as who we are. 
Yeah, and I think that through the ineptness of a system that in some cases claims inclusion by using these broad brush terms, mm. it's then filtering down into social media and then how people are receiving and understanding and processing information. And it fuels this separatist narrative where it's the us and them and people fighting for that place at the table where minorities mm. are feeling not represented. Yes and potentially feeling that their space is at risk. And that's really worrying and disconcerting. Because for me, it's like not really that hard. Mm. Even quite simply, how do we use the language? Could we not start to use acronyms where we have commonalities and where possible use the shared chosen identification of the community or group or person What's the difficulty there, I ask myself? Um, Like you say, AJ, it's about asking the right questions, finding the right research, consultation and shared decision-making, transparent practice. Mm. While we've got these systems that are still framed in bias and discrimination, it's not helping communities to come together and have those meaningful conversations. Because obviously... Mm. Often communities themselves are feeling that they're not heard, not seen, no. and not understood. And like you say, Chandra, it goes back to the all lives matter argument as well, because mm. that could be viewed as a group of people that feel they're disenfranchised yeah. and they don't have their voice too. They're like, well, hold on a minute, we're dealing with multiple inequalities also. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And it, so if we were able to take a step back and say, look, who's not being served by the way that the current system works? Um, who is being left out? Yeah. Who is most at risk? We should raise up the most vulnerable people first. And that in turn will raise the bar for everybody. So if we were to take, we should, oh, it does. <laughs> if, we, if we raise up the most vulnerable in a system, we know that that improves even the service or the outcomes for people at the top of that you know oppression olympics or however you want to measure that or the people who are most closely uh fit the demographic that the system was created for the system was created for the nuclear family yes and there are lots of people who aren't lgbtq who don't fit into that nuclear family ideology anyway people who use ivf or sperm donors people who are single parents by choice there are such a myriad of people and i always say this if you're struggling to let the more extreme queer folks into your thoughts and minds. So if you're struggling, if you can't do this for trans guys or you can't do this for non-binary people, can you do it for the straight people who also stray into these categories? Loving this podcast? Go to session notes for links to our blog, website and socials. Thanks for listening. AJ, what does woke mean to you? Yeah, I saw that in the email and I was like, this is even one of those questions where I'm going to obsess over it (laughs) or it's going to be one that just got the first thing that comes to mind. But I think it, I suppose it's meant in that literal sense of awake or, you know, having taken the blue pill in the matrix and you're able to see a lot of these issues. I remember doing one of my first doula workshops that wasn't related in any way to LGBTQ plus folks. It was, uh, I can't even remember what the topic was. And I remember thinking, does everybody know about this? Does like, does the world know that this is happening? Like why, hello, you know, why Mm. isn't there more about this in press? And obviously that's part of the misogyny and the basis of, of, 
uh, of exclusion and the worth of of women and birthing people across the world. But I think woke would mean to me that, depending who's using the word, <laughs> would yeah. mean somebody who's informed or who's visible or who is at least aware of some of the issues that minoritized or oppressed, historically excluded folks are experiencing. Mm. Thanks, AJ. Next question. What does a meaningful connection feel like? Oh, it feels like a big hug, doesn't it? It feels like an old comfy pair of slippers or that lovely worn-in pair of Dr. Martins that you've finally broken the back <laughs> of. It fits you perfectly. Yeah. I think that there hmm. hopefully will remain little spaces that you dare to show that other person of, of yourself and that you are not scared to show even your Spotify playlist that you won't share with the rest of the world on podcasts that you (laughs) can share all those parts of you. And I think that that as a doula is one of the big privileges of the work that we get to do is that we get to have a chance at building those connections with people we may otherwise not have met. Um, And so it should feel wrap around, warm towel, cuddle. Oh, I could feel that when you were talking about that warm towel <laughs> yeah I just love that I just I just love what you referenced there about the Dot Martin's analogy which is about doing the work and the vulnerability allow yourself to be vulnerable and put the work in yeah that's great and that that creates connection <laughs> yeah okay and finally what is the best thing about being human that's a big one. Yeah. Well, my my the love of my life that always has been since I was very small is is music. Yes. And so I think that one of the best things about being human for me and in particular the way that I was raised to be a human which is a very Irish way of being raised which is you will sing for your dinner and your aunts and uncles are here so sing us a song you know and let's have a drink and let's have a a song together and regardless of your community or what's happening in the world at least we can all sing this song together and that might be a very old folk song or that might be a modern song that you're introducing to your elders and they say oh that was good who's that by and you go ah yes see you said you didn't like that band but I've just played it and you liked it so now you're full of shit Um, but I think that that's one of my favorite things well you that is a great place to stop but music for me that's another one of my big deep loves thank you so much AJ I've learned so much through this conversation it's really yeah just made me reflect on on more things um so yeah appreciate it I'm glad I'm really glad we got to have this conversation so are we thank you so much for being with us today we've learned so much you are definitely on point AJ thank you appreciate you thank you so much to both of you I really appreciate you Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Woke or on our Facebook page, Woke. Links to resources mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. Special thanks to AJIT and Matt Elliott Music. True and Woke is a community interest company based in Scotland. This episode is funded by the National Lottery Awards for All. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon.